Good morning, church. I'm Brian. If I've never met you before, I'm the pastor here at Trinity City Church. Uh, kids, preschool through first grade, you're dismissed for either preschool or children's church. Children's church kids can meet with uh, teacher Beth right over here, uh, and she will kind of congregate the, the kids over there and take them up to uh, the second floor classroom. Couple updates um, before I pray and dive into the sermon series. Uh, first one, you might be wondering about the latest with the, the water damage we suffered in education league here last week. Right now, it's just the waiting game is over in the midst of right now. We have uh, insurance filed, adjusters have come out, contractors have come out, and there's quotes and there's conversations, and now we're just waiting uh, for the insurance to be back. So right now, it's just like mixed tailmate and we uh, we'll see what happens and what the timeline is and that sort of thing. So that's the latest on that. I want to welcome you again tonight back here, especially if you're new to a connection dinner. Um, it looks like the weather will be crisp but nice, so we'll probably have it out here in the courtyard if uh, the ground isn't too wet from the rain yesterday. And we'll likely have a light lunch of uh, our light dinner pizza. Uh, time for you to meet some other folks from Trinity. I'll be there as well. Uh, time uh, for you and I to meet, and we'll talk a little bit about what it would mean for you to connect a little bit more here at Trinity City Church. So please come back here, 5 o'clock, and join us for that. The sermon series we're into right now is called A Wonderful Life, uh, Waking Up to the Glorious Light of Restoration. Uh, the sermons uh, at the beginning of the sermon series, it's 10 weeks, has been laying the foundation of the storyline of Scripture. Uh, there's God, who is our highest good, that all things are created with purpose. All creation has purpose in light of who God is. And we have purpose to enjoy God and to love Him. And then last week's sermon, we talked about how those purposes have been ruined by sin. And so today's sermon looks just right at the gospel of Jesus Christ as the answer and the declaration of good news to all these things. And then after this sermon, the rest of the series, except for the very last one on week 10, will essentially ask the question, all right, what is your salvation for? You believe in Jesus, he has raised your dead faith to new life, now what? And we're going to look at different areas of church and relationships, work and culture to consider the mission of God in every area of life as we participate in the wonderful life and this mission of restoration. So that's the sermon series. Let me go ahead and pray before we dive in. Living God, help us all to hear your word and your gospel declared right now. Open our hearts so that we may truly understand it, and understanding that we may believe, and believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and your glory in all that we do. Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. More than likely, you're dealing with a lot of bad news. That's usually uh, a lot of the conversations that I have with you and folks outside of Trinity is that uh, the news cycle and personal lives is dominated by bad news. And just to make this point even for myself again this morning, I just took a peek at uh, NPR's website just to see what are the big headlines and the main three. Uh, was dominated by bad news, and as you can imagine, we're also dominated by uh, COVID-19. Some of the highlight um, headlines was COVID is at its highest in active cases for all of 2021. It's peaking right about now in our state, uh, in our nation. Uh, 700,000 
deaths have happened because of COVID. And then there was another headline and a piece that highlighted the impact of all of this on our healthcare workers and how many of those that in healthcare are struggling now with burnout because of everything going on. And that's just three headlines of the many that I could have highlighted. And each of these things are important. Each of these things deserve our care, our prayers, and our action. Yet bad news is dominating. And that's just one news page. That's just one example. You scroll your social media, you'll likely hear more about the failure of political leaders or church leaders. You'll hear about the division in our country, about everything and over anything. And you'll probably hear about a handful of very personal and specific crises that people are going through. And it's overwhelming. And I didn't even mention most likely all the very personal things in your life that are sad and heavy that you're thinking about right now that is overwhelming your life because it's bad news or sad news. I long for good news, just like you. I long for good news. And I'm not just talking about alternative, happy stories or news reports that are more optimistic. Those are good. That's good news. Those help, but they don't fix the bad news. They don't give hope and, and have something really objective to hold on to when you do have so much that's weighing down your soul. What we need is real good news. What we need is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. As many of you know, the word gospel means good news. And the gospel isn't good news in the sense that it's some partisan opinion piece, but it's rather information and an announcement of something that occurred in the reality of history. Good news is not a good opinion. This is a good fact, an objective reality of what God has been doing in our lives and in history. Originally, when the word gospel was being used in ancient time, it had a very secular meaning, a very common meaning. It would be used to describe the situation where maybe your people or your nation have went to war and you're in this ongoing conflict and there was this decisive battle that was happening and then a witness of what happened at that battle brought the news back to you. And if they brought gospel back to you, they would announce that your nation won. The war is over. Life can go back to restoration and peace. So they would bring Gospel. They would declare something that happened that has good news and a bearing on your daily life. And in addition, the gospel is good news because it's not the type of news that has little impact on all the other bad news that I mentioned. This is the type of news that gives us hope, that one day things will get better. In fact, they are. It's the news that is the answer and the solution to all the bad news and all the sad things that we experience each and every week. So this is what we're gonna do this morning. I was thinking about this gospel and this sermon, and part of preaching means that I teach you about things. And this sermon certainly has a component of that, but more than that, I think just for you to again be reminded and also feel the power of the gospel, all I am simply going to do in this message is proclaim it 
and tell the story of the gospel and let the power of the gospel do the work on your souls that it's intended to do. And this is the power that breaks out revivals in neighborhoods and cities. It's what lifts up the discouraged soul. And if you don't believe today, this is the very message that may be the instrument that God is about to use to change that and to get you into the waters of baptism to declare your new life. So that's what we're up to. We are going to declare the good news of the restoration. I'm going to use Colossians chapter 1 to guide us through there. Look at Colossians 1, 15-17. This is all gospel. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We've already noted that God is our highest good, our greatest satisfaction, the one who reveals his glory to us to satisfy our souls. And if you are here this morning and God feels dim or distanced, the good news here is that in Jesus Christ you see the fullness of God. If God is invisible to you, Jesus Christ reveals him to you and you can see the fullness of who God is this morning when you look to Jesus. In Jesus Christ, it's like God took this selfie and posted it in the feed of history. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. The text says he's the firstborn over all creation. Not in a physical sense that he has been born before anybody else, but in a cultural sense. In ancient culture, the firstborn has significant rights and privileges. He is more significant than the rest of creation. That's what Colossians is saying to us. He's before all creation. He, in fact, he is eternal. In Jesus and by Jesus, all things are created. It, creation happened in the mind of Christ. Creation is the idea of Jesus Christ. And through him, all things were created. That means everything owes its existence to Jesus Christ. Your very existence right now is owed to Jesus Christ. In fact, it says later in the passage I just read that he, he is holding all creation together right now in this moment. And then this verse says that all of creation is for Jesus. For Jesus. Everything is created by the Father to give himself and the Son glory and praise. You look into a Hubble telescope and everything that it sees is for the glory of Jesus. You look at the most microscopic things in all of creation under a microscope and it all exists for Jesus and his glory. Your work exists for the glory of Jesus. Every relationship exists for the glory of Jesus. The church exists for the glory of Jesus. There is nothing in all of your life that can be detached from the grand purpose to give the Son glory. That is reality, and that is what Jesus reveals to us in his word. Now, God and Christ can hold together the entire universe by the word of his power. This is also means the good news today is that this is a God in Christ who holds to his promises. Everything he promises, everything he commits to, he will be faithful to it and has the power to bring it to its intended end. 
And God in Christ, the Spirit, has promised that he is going to restore all things. He promises in the Old Testament, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so right away, that's his commitment. Even though sin has ruined our lives and our world, God commits himself. He covenants with us and says, I am still your God, and I will redeem this people for myself. And all of the Old Testament unfolds this plan of redemption. You see his commitment to this covenant and this promise by him sending prophets who have the ministry of proclamation. They announce God's word and his promises to us. Yet you also see in the Old Testament that the prophets were messed up sinners too, who didn't always stay faithful to the preaching of God's word, but sometimes wanted to rather give people what their itching ears wanted to hear. You also see God's commitment to raising up priests who have the ministry of reconciliation. They mediate atonement through sacrifices and offerings, and it's this ministry of atonement. Atonement means this is how God sets sinners right with him. They are declaring good news that through sacrifice and through the spilt blood of lambs and animals, it points to a reconciliation, a atonement for us. Yet there's something going on in the Old Testament when you hear about these images and these rituals that it raises the question, is this really accomplishing anything? Is this sacrifice of animals actually what is reconciling us to God and is pointing ahead to something else? You see God's commitment to his covenant when he raises up kings who have the ministry of protection and care over God's people. A king cares for his people by defeating our enemies. And most of the kings in the Old Testament were pretty awful. Sinners, unjust rulers, and just as terrible as some of our modern-day politicians. And even the best kings that are highlighted in the Old Testament had significant ways they sinned against God, against God and didn't care for God's people. Yet all this stuff isn't the point. It was pointing ahead to something more significant that was to come. These events and these categories and these images in the Old Testament was just setting the stage. But then when you get to the New Testament, the curtain comes up and the main point is shown to us. And that is in Jesus Christ. All these things point to Jesus, are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus comes into history, born of a virgin. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. The light shines in the darkness. The prophets in the Old Testament may have spoken God's word, but Jesus is God's word, put on the flesh, dwelling among us, teaching us. Even as a child, people noted the authority by which Jesus taught. And in his ministry, these religious leaders that were always confusing God's word would get in these debates with Jesus, and he would just cut through the fog and show us truth and light and clarity about who God is. Jesus begins his ministry in baptism where all the persons of the Trinity show up. The Father declares his pleasure with the Son who is being baptized as the Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus. Unlike anyone else in all of Scripture, Jesus is tempted but does not submit to sin. 
He is perfect. He is the hero that your heart always longs for because every earthly hero that you ever placed your trust and your faith in has failed you and they will continue to fail you. But this Jesus, even though he was tempted by things just like you and all I have been tempted, he has never succumbed to those temptations and sin. He is powerful enough to resist lay hold of God's promises, and remain righteous. Much of the Gospels document the miracles of Jesus. He's healing those with diseases, commanding the storms to be still, and even raising the dead. This is not the work of some type of influencer trying to get more followers. All these miracles have significance and weight to them that start to show us the way things ought to really be. One of my favorite um, stories of the miracle of Christ is from Luke chapter 8, where Jesus is being called by a family member to tend to a dying girl. She's dying in her sickness. And on the way there, as Jesus is walking through the crowds and the crowds are pressing up on him, a woman reaches out to touch Jesus because she has been dealing with bleeding for 12 years and no healing in sight. In the Old Testament, this had a deeply ritualistic meaning for somebody to be losing blood. And it meant that they were moving towards death. That's what it represented. It wasn't that she literally was, but in her culture and the rituals that they participated in, that's what it meant for her. And practically what that also meant then is that people considered her unclean. And she didn't have full fellowship with her neighbors and her brothers and sisters in the covenant community, and she couldn't attend to worship as she normally does. And that's what's going on with her. She hears about Jesus, and how he makes all the sad things come untrue, and she just has the faith to think that if I just touch him, if I just touch him, my life will be set right. And Jesus heals her, praises her faith, but in the meantime, as all this is going on, he receives news about this girl. She's no longer sick because she has died. He said, don't bother Jesus coming anymore. There's nothing else you can do. But he goes there, and everybody's grieving, and he says, don't grieve, which just seems like a jerk move, right? Like, why would you say that to, like, a big crowd of grieving people unless you knew that you were going to take away the very thing that brought this grief? And he goes to that little girl in that room, and he reaches down into death. Death grabs her hand and brings her back with just a word. He just says, rise up, little girl. Rise up and come. And she walks out of the darkness of death back into life. Because that's what Jesus does. He's not just fully man, he's fully God, he's eternal life. And when you are in union with Christ, you're in union with eternal life. So of course, he's going to push back everything that this sinful world is destroying. He's going to wake up the eyes that are blind. He is going to heal those with diseases, and he is going to forgive sins and raise the dead, because that's the way things ought to be. Jesus is restoring what is broken because we have to remember who he is. Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased 
to have all his fullness dwell in him. We forget the absolute miracle of that statement as we think about the miracles that I just mentioned, the miracle of Jesus raising from the dead, but none of this makes sense if we forget that in Jesus Christ, in this human body, all the fullness of God dwells in him. This is what Christians mean by the incarnation, that Jesus is truly God and truly man, or fully God or fully man. And the incarnation is laying the foundation for the good news. The Word became flesh. God took on our nature in order to restore our nature and all of nature. The Son of God became man in order to restore humanity. So why and how does this happen? As the Word, Jesus is fully God, which means He's eternal life. And eternal life cannot die. Would be eternal life if that was possible. It's impossible for eternal life to die. But eternal life puts on flesh, a body. And as we know because of our experience, our bodies break down. Our bodies are tempted. Our bodies are capable of death. And so here you have the doctrine of the incarnation at the beginning of the gospel, fully God and fully man. Eternal life meets a mortal body, now capable of, of being sick and being killed, being cut open to bleed. So what is going to happen? And that brings us to the cross. Colossians 1.20 says, And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the truly better priest who mediates us back to God and makes peace between us and God. And Jesus is the true and better sacrifice that all the other Old Testament sacrifices were pointing towards. But the reconciliation through this atonement happens through the death of Jesus on the cross. He is our substitute. And that's why we say the heart of the gospel message is this declaration that Jesus died for sinners, sinners like us. That's the heart of it, that Jesus took our place, that Jesus is our substitute. And there is a deep, significant, eternal reality there that is, that is being declared to us. And there's so many images in the Bible and images in our experience of life that just scratch the surface of us, that, that, that stirs our heart and stirs our souls because we not only want it to be true, but we know it to be true, that Jesus died as a substitute for our sins. We think about how this is true in other areas of life or in other images of Scripture, how a parent who suffers uh, for the flourishing of their child or heroes who give themselves up for a people or a generation who serves unbearable work so that the next generation may have it better. It's like a kernel of grain that dies but only grows and bears fruit in the coming years. It's like a mother who suffers in order to bring life into the world. It's like wrecking somebody's possessions and then that person extending forgiveness to you and says, you know what, you do not have to bear the cost for this. I will take care of it. Because what's more important is this relationship and that you and I are at peace rather than the things that you have broken in this world. That is substitutionary atonement. That is the heart of the gospel. 
that Jesus died for sinners. And we may not fully wrap our minds around this reality, and sin may even distort our ability to wonder at it. Yet by faith, we're grateful for it. And by faith, we can rest in it and rejoice that this is what divine love looks like. This is what eternal love and life does. Lays down its life for us so that we may have life forever and ever and ever. Colossians 1.20 says that Jesus reconciled what? Just you to himself? No, it says Jesus reconciled all things. And the gospel declares the good news that in Jesus and his work on the cross, he restores faith. He restores our nature so that we become truly human in the way that we are meant to be. Meant to be. And he restores all of creation, that our dead bodies will rise from the grave and we will exist in a new heaven and new earth. Jesus died on the cross for us. His flesh did bleed and he descended to the dead. But this is how we know the story ends. Colossians 1.18 Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He raised from the dead the first to do so. He offers that good news to us as well. He reconciles us through his death and he defeats sin and death through the power of his resurrection and that we too, like him, will not be defeated by sin and death, but we will be raised to new life in him right now and in the fullest sense in the end of days. Jesus is also the head of the church. He has authority over every single local church. He's our sustaining presence. And the church is a community that follows the commands and the ways of Jesus. He is the reason that we exist. He is the reason for our mission in our life. And each one of us, all the people of God, are united with Christ because of his death and his resurrection. And because of this good news, we may have the wonderful life. We may have experience uh, and, and the joy and the blessedness of knowing God and Jesus Christ and all the blessings that come from God to us are unleashed in the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. What the Spirit does when the gospel is proclaimed is trying to take believing hearts back to their union with Christ and those that are struggling with belief to, to come back to our union with Christ. Because when Christ dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, that power that raised him from the dead is among us. One of my favorite illustrations of this comes from a church father. We're like our experience right now being in this world ruined with sin. It's like we're in this house surrounded by all our enemies that are about to take us out. Surrounded by sin and death and the powers of evil. They're all around us and there's nothing you can do about it. You are completely helpless. You go outside of this house and they will take you out. In fact, they're about to come in and do that to you. But the good news today is that through the power of the gospel, and since Jesus raised from the dead, the king is alive. And the king can dwell in your home. And if the king is dwelling in your house, it does not matter what enemies are surrounding your house that desire to take you out. The king is there, and he has at his disposal the power of his word, where he just says, be done! And they're done! They're defeated! And they're no more, and they have no 
power over you anymore. That is the gospel message. And when you are united in Christ, all the benefits that the Bible speaks of is now true of you. You are justified in Him. Meaning, in God's courtroom, you are not declared a sinner anymore, but you are declared innocent. That you are now righteous because of the work of Christ. The Bible speaks that all of us who are united in Christ are adopted. We may, be, we may have been orphans because of our sins, but the Father in heaven through Christ and the Spirit has also said in that very courtroom, He is not only declared innocent, but declared to be mine as my daughter and my son. In the work of the gospel, we are sanctified. We are set apart to be holy, to be transformed, to be what to feel and to experience what it means to be truly human. And in Christ, we are glorified with the hope that, yes, we may die one day, but we will not stay in that grave. When Jesus calls us back, we will be lifted out of that grave into a new heaven, a new resurrected body forever and ever and ever. That is the gospel. And do you know what happens? When the gospel is declared in an ordinary space like this, powerful things happen. Because there's not just a human element to what's going on right now. There's a very real spiritual component to what's happening right now. Because Jesus raised from the dead. He's alive. He poured out the spirit on the church. And that is still active in our lives and in our neighborhoods and in our city and in our world. And when the gospel is being proclaimed, the Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is convicting, producing faith, and awakening our souls to wonder again at the gospel message. So how do we respond? And both believers and those who have yet to believe respond in very similar ways. There's three different uh, categories that I want to highlight in concluding this message that speak to the reality of what happens when the gospel is being proclaimed. One thing that's happening right now is the new birth. Jesus says that it's so profound when the Spirit blows into a room and blows into our life that he describes it that it's like being born again, that you are brand new, everything has changed, you have a new beginning, a new life ahead of you, and a new humanity to look forward to. You are born again when the Spirit comes into your life and awakens your dead soul to these realities. And Jesus says that happens when the gospel is proclaimed. Conversion happens, which means there's a change in our wills. You may have come in here today and maybe your affections for the things of Jesus and the gospel are very low and very unhealthy. But one of the promises of Scripture is simply when the gospel is proclaimed, the Spirit shows up and changes our will. Or maybe you have a will today that has never believed in Jesus ever. And you don't even know how you can get there. But when the gospel is being proclaimed, it means the Spirit is working. And that means that your dead faith, even in this moment, can raise to new life. And then there's a calling that happens where we are all now called to respond to the gospel. The gospel, the reality, the good news, the victory has been just proclaimed to you again. How do we re respond to that? And we all respond either as believers or new believers the same way. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead. You respond by repenting 
and turning away from your old life and your sins that continue to grip you and return to new life in Jesus Christ. And especially for those that may be doing this for the first time, we declare what is happening in your soul by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit through the waters of baptism. Where you say to yourself and to this world that you have died with Christ. You go under that water and that old self is dead. And you come out of that water in resurrected life because the new self lives forever and ever and ever in Christ. And if that is you here this morning, you believe in this gospel, or the Spirit has stirred your heart to believe in it for the first time, let's get you baptized. That is a calling, a response. If you believe in Jesus and you've never been baptized, let's do this next Sunday because that is a proper response to the gospel message. Believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead. Repent and be baptized because the gospel is being proclaimed. And I don't care what kind of bad news you came into this sanctuary with today. This bad news has never changed this good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and raised from the dead. And this changes everything because everything will be made new in the new heavens and Let's continue to celebrate, brothers and sisters, by turning to this table. We celebrate communion every week because it's another way for us to proclaim the gospel. You know, sorry, can we just pause for a minute and just pray for that? Whatever it is, just pray for it. It's funny, that's happened so many times, preaching out of open windows, how loud that is when the sirens are. I'm just like, what do I do? Do I ignore it? Do I make a joke out of it? And it's just like, the last time it happened, I'm just like, you should just pause and pray. There's a siren going on, there's something happening in our broken world, and we're the people that call on the name of Jesus and his powerful resurrection. And we know if that power falls, that siren, wherever it's going, something is going to change and something's going to be restored. So anyways, new liturgy. We hear a siren outside, we pause and pray. Sound good? That's what we'll do. Back to this table. This is what we celebrate each and every week. It's one of two ordinances or sacraments that the church follows. The other I mentioned is baptism, which is what believers do. When you believe in Jesus, you come and you're, you get baptized. A one-time celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ongoing celebration is this table where we take the bread and take the cup and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The way that we're going to do this, the music team is going to be coming up here. And after I lead us in a time of prayer, uh, you are going to come up during that first song, take a piece of bread, take a cup, take it back to your seats, and during that first song, you may take communion as you feel that. Reminder to parents from preschool to first graders, you can pick up your kids either right before or right after you take communion. This table is open to anybody who believes in Jesus. If you're visiting, you're welcome here if you believe in Jesus. Uh, if this is your church home, this is for you to continue to celebrate the reality of the gospel. If you're here this morning and this isn't where you're at yet, if you don't have faith, you're still struggling, you feel no pressure to come up here and participate in this table, we're glad you're here experiencing the power of the proclaimed gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says about this table in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to say a prayer of confession uh, on our behalf, and then we're going to close this time by confessing the Apostles' Creed together. Let's pray. Eternal and merciful God, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding, and you have set us on paths of right, righteousness for your name's sake. Yet, Lord, we have strayed from your ways. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, through what we have done and by what we have left undone. Lord, we remember the sign and seal of our baptism, where we recall being buried with Christ and raised with him to new life. And we praise you for the good news declared with that water. We have assurance, Lord, that in Christ that you forgive us yet again. And we praise you and give you thanks for that. Grant us now, Lord, we pray, the grace to die daily to our sins and to raise daily to new life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you, and whose strong name we pray. Amen. Let's confess this together, church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.